0: This is the Red Culture Leadership Podcast, episode number 11. And on this episode, we are talking about the new book, Grace in the Valley, with Heath Adamson. I am Jacob Johnson, and here at the Red Culture Leadership Podcast, we are on a mission to equip and encourage leaders in student ministry. Today, we have Heath Adamson to start our interview. Hey guys, uh, we have special guest Heath Adamson here with our Red Culture Leadership Podcast, Um, and he's going to explain a little bit about his book that just came out, Grace in the Valley, and also answer one or two questions over his leadership experience in the past. So uh, thanks for joining us today, Heath.
1: Hey, Jake, it's a privilege to be with you.
0: So man, um, I know that uh, you have special ties to Iowa. You're kind of uh, a pride and joy to many of us in a goofy way of saying it. But, uh, I just want to say thanks for, uh, being able to speak into our leaders lives, uh, now and then. Yeah. It's, you know, you know what, Iowa has a deep
1: place, uh, in, in our heart as a family, uh, born in Des Moines, lived there for basically 34 years. And, um, Uh, you know what, anytime I have the opportunity to come back to Iowa, absolutely love it. So it's a privilege to be on the phone and to be able to share conversation with you as well as listeners in Iowa. It means the world.
0: Awesome. Thanks, man. Um, So I know that recently you had transitioned to a role at Convoy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in January of this year, 2018, um, I stepped into a role um, as the chief of staff at Convoy of Hope at our um, headquarters building here in Springfield, Missouri. And um, so currently, uh, boy, well, first of all, it's been an amazing transition, probably the smoothest transition we've ever had. And um, just really sensed the direction of the Lord in a clear, uh, compelling way. And right now we have the privilege of serving uh, in a way that allows us to end the cycle of physical and spiritual poverty. Um, we're engaged in quite a few areas. One would be obviously our disaster response. I want to thank the listeners and the churches for their ongoing support of Convoy of Hope. It's it's, it's really special that we have such amazing partners. Um, our disaster response is both uh, domestic and international. That's typically what we're known for. But We do a few other things. We have about a thousand feeding centers around the world. We feed a lot of children. Uh, We have a women's empowerment program through microenterprise, especially in third world countries where women, unfortunately, are disrespected and overlooked because of their gender. Uh, So we love to end the cycle of physical and spiritual poverty by empowering a woman to discover who God created her to be. Um, And also with microenterprise grants, Uh, we, we partner with farmers all over the world. You know, there are are many who live in drought zones, who have no access to food simply because they do not know how to cultivate the soil underneath their feet. And so we have a team of scientists and agronomists and soil uh, specialists as well who help us um, do that. Uh, We do a variety of other things, a lot of field teams, a lot of outreaches. We partner with churches in a variety of ways. And at the end of the day, the goal is to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ in a life-changing way. And we've seen over 100 million people served to date over $1 billion in product uh, distributed, and uh, God has only just begun. So it's a fun its a fun time to be a part of the organization.
0: For sure. That's amazing. I know uh, a lot of people here in Iowa have not only heard of Convoy of Hope, but have been raising support and giving through Speed the Light to Convo- Convoy of Hope. So it's awesome to see you a part of such a great organization, for sure. Yeah, thanks. So I know uh, that's not... Your newest endeavor, though, you've also written a book recently called Grace in the Valley that had just released, was it last week? Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Okay. So I kind of want to dive in some questions and just give you an opportunity to share about your newest book. Um, Okay. I just want to start off with what inspired you to write uh, your newest book, Grace in the Valley? Yeah, this has
1: been a fun experience for me. It's first trade book I've ever written. And so I'm grateful for Baker Books. They've been an amazing uh, publishing partner on this journey. But about three years ago, I just started studying Psalm 23. I devoted about three years actually to studying one Psalm. Um, And I I really looked deep into the history and the rabbinical tradition. I had quite a few conversations with rabbis in Israel and the United States, and and the list goes on and on and on. So after about three years of just um, really looking at the context of the Psalm, um I began to ask this question what if the green pasture and the valley of the shadow of death are actually the same place and so you know believe it or not I had uh, an experienced about 14 months ago it was would have been last summer that, um, allowed me to discover the answer to that question. Um, we, uh, I was praying about which publisher to go with. I had, um, I think it was five different contracts we were praying about and looking at. I knew that I wanted to write a book about, um, Psalm 23, uh, Grace in the Valley, but I found myself, um, experiencing something Jake that did not line up at all with what I knew to be true about God and maybe the listeners. Um, have had a similar experience. What do you do when your situation does not line up with the goodness of God? And so last summer, I was actually speaking at a youth event, and I watched God perform a miracle. God, um, according to eyewitnesses, healed a girl who was deaf. And I don't know about you, but that, that's a miracle. And, you know, when I think of a miracle, I think of the deaf girl being healed or maybe I think of a marriage falling apart. I think of someone who has just experienced depression for years and all of a sudden they uh, come to a place again when they can be vulnerable and laugh again and smile again. The most notable miracle, obviously, is someone who is spiritually dead. And because of the grace of Jesus Christ, they come spiritually alive But last summer, I experienced uh, yet again another miracle. And one week after that miracle, I found myself in the hospital room with Allie, my wife. And um, Allie became very sick last summer. And we had about a 48 hour window uh, that was chingo, where it was literally life and death. And so um, I found myself in the hospital room. I was praying, I was fasting. And it was just a really rough spot. It was the worst experience of my life. And Allie was sleeping. She's in the hospital room. And I had my Bible open and I was just praying. And though Psalm 23 by this time was devoted to memory, I had it memorized. I just felt it necessary to read the words again. I think sometimes that's good practice. I was just reading the psalm and asking God, if you can heal the deaf girl. Now, Jake, this is real life here. If you can heal the deaf girl, why is my wife not getting better? Yeah. And what what do you do? What do you do when your circumstance doesn't line up? It it means that we trust God, even if our situation gives us a reason not to. And so that's when I discovered, I just discovered, it's true, The the green pasture and the valley of the shadow of death are actually the same place and even though my enemy is present and at that time the enemy was sickness even though the enemy is present that does not mean that I still cannot choose to sit at God's table and feast and fortunately God brought Allie through that but it took her about 6 to 7 months to get better and so that's that's really the ethos of the book i i'm just trying to invite the reader into um, a three-year conversation I had with God in Psalm 23, and uh, I had to walk it out and live it out uh, last summer.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. What I love, even what you touched on at the very beginning is, you know, you focused three years of your life, essentially, on just this one Psalm and just the richness of Scripture and how it can speak to us. I mean, that's one Psalm, and so much truth and so much life has come out of that. Um, And just the wealth of scripture that we have, like the power, just the power of God's word and the resource that we have in that and how he brought you through that is incredible. Um, And you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, but who do you think will benefit from reading Grace in the Valley? Uh, You know, at the risk of sounding trite, I would
1: say anybody who has ever experienced a situation that does not line up with what they know to be true about God from scripture. Um, you know, one of the Greek words in the New Testament for miracle is mysterion. That's uh, where we get our word mystery. And oftentimes when you think of the miracle, you think of the deaf girl being healed. But a miracle is also a mystery when you find yourself in a situation that does not always line up with what you know to be true about God. And some of the most amazing miracles that God performs is when he invites us into a modern-day parable, a mystery, where he takes truth and he shrouds it. And uh, we don't always understand why, and that's okay. And so um, who would benefit from it? Anybody who has ever experienced a mystery in their life and their enemy seems to be prevalent and noticeable and and they wonder where God is. Um, I would suggest that uh, God has uh, extended an invitation to sit at his table and feast. And sometimes what we think is a spiritual attack is actually an invitation by God to draw near.
0: That's awesome. Um, I know I'm about halfway through your book right now, and in part of it, you talk about resting in and trusting God in the midst of difficulty. Uh, Why do you think so many of us struggle with this? I I feel like personally, even myself, uh, when the times that we most need God, the difficult times, uh, the times we truly need to rely on Him, it seems like a lot of us wrestle with this question of, God, where are you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it's certainly something we can all relate to. Um, You know, we in our Western world, uh, and I'm thankful for uh, the country we live in, for the part of the world we live in. um, We certainly have a lot of uh, things accessible to us. But in our Western world, uh, the way we think about reality sometimes uh, can create challenges for us. Uh, We're very logical in our thinking. Um, very scientific in our thinking. And if we're not careful, sometimes we tend to think that the purpose of prayer is always to get the answer. And I would suggest that although Scripture's clear, if we call to Him, He will answer us, Jeremiah 33 and 3. But the purpose of prayer is not just to get an answer, um, I'm discovering that the purpose of prayer is to get a hold of God. And I think C.S. Lewis said it this way, that um, the purpose of prayer is to make sure that we are never too proud to stand in line and ask for bread. So there's this realm of God that exists when we come before God and we don't fully understand. Uh, It's humbling. It's humbling for us to admit that we don't have it all together. It's humbling for us when we live with and steward mysteries, and it's humbling for us when we tend to think that the purpose of faith is always to get uh, the answer in prayer. And sometimes the purpose of faith is the other side of the coin that we read about in Hebrews 11, where half of them received their promise, but the other half did not receive their promise and both groups had significant faith. And so I think it's it's a challenge because we like results. We're results-oriented in our culture, and I think that's okay. But there's something even more beneficial than results, and that's tra- being transformed in our relationship with God, even if we don't fully understand.
0: That's that's a really good point. And honestly, even as you were sharing that, it, it changes the framework of how we look at prayer with the idea of you know, it's not about, like you said, getting an answer, but it's about drawing near to God. And I think ultimately in this life, we're not going to have all the answers. But are we drawing near to God? Are we resting in his presence? Um, and I think that changes the way that we look at prayer when we look at it through that frame.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I know another chapter in your book, and this one kind of hits home, for me as well as something my dad had spoken into me over the years, but this idea of identity. So you have a chapter that's titled, Does God Recognize You? That is centered on identity. So what do you mean by this? You know, David,
1: we we attribute Psalm 23 to David. Uh, I want to be clear, what's written in our Judeo-Christian scripture was not written technically by David because the words we have in our Bible are not 10th century BCE Hebrew. What we do know is David would have recited, more than likely, sang the psalm. And over the centuries, the scribe would have captured the words and eventually written them down. We know that the words are inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, but we do attribute them to David. Um, How does David, the shepherd boy who is handpicked by God to be king, uh, how does David open the psalm? Remember, David, according to rabbinic tradition, David recites the psalm. Around 1 Samuel 22, after David was handpicked by God to be king, after David saw God bring down the giant named Goliath, after David experienced what it was like to serve under the tutelage of an insecure leader named Saul, um, and I want to be clear, there are very few things more dangerous than an insecure leader who has access to power and influence, David finds himself serving under an insecure leader who's actually demonized. We know that from 1 Samuel sixteen fourteen, And David eventually runs for his life after people accuse him. Um, people believe David is the betrayer. People believe that David is dishonorable. David finds himself in the forest of Hereth in 1 Samuel 22, where according to tradition, he's starving to death. It's not that David hasn't eaten for two days. David is literally anemic, skeletal. He is starving to death. He is surrounded by Saul's soldiers who want to murder him. He has been abandoned by those close to him. And David sits in quiet desperation. And of all things, how does David open the psalm? David sings, the Lord is my shepherd. He does not say the Lord is my king. He doesn't open the psalm by saying, the Lord is my great warrior or the Lord is the avenger of my enemies. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. David hearkened back to that moment when it was just he and God under the starry sky. When David was a shepherd, before life became complex and faith became a challenge, David remembered the simple days. He remembered God's true identity and I just have a feeling that David caught a glimpse of the face of God in a similar way that Isaiah the prophet did who instructed us that uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Jesus is our good shepherd. And so David opens up the psalm drawing attention to God's identity. And in doing so, he draws attention to his own identity. God is the shepherd. David is a sheep. And there's something profound about that. We, we can discover who God is and who we truly are when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But it's important to remember It's only a shadow, and the presence of a shadow is indicative of the reality that a bright light is just beyond. So when we experience shadows, let the listener be reminded that that just means that God, who is light and whom there is no shadow of turning, is drawing incredibly close.
0: Awesome. So I just wanted to finish off with uh, this one last question about Grace in the Valley, and that is, if you could have one takeaway for someone what would that takeaway be? Oh, boy, if I only get one. Thanks, Jake. I have about a
1: thousand. <laughs> but if I, could, if I could only have one, it, it, it would be this. It would be that maybe just maybe everybody would find um, their special place at God's table uh, as a leader, as a pastor. Yes. Uh, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent. But even more than that, just as a child of God, that everybody would find their place at God's table. And in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life, in the midst of situations that do not always line up with what we know to be true about God, that we would dare to pause and sit down at the king's table to look into God's eyes, to listen to his voice, and enjoy true community with God. Uh, that would be the one takeaway I wish everybody would have, that there would be a renewed sense of passion and desire to know God in an intimate, personal way. Uh, I like to think of it this way. In Genesis 1, God spoke the universe into existence, but when God created humanity, God did not speak. God scooped up a mound of dirt and he breathed. So when God speaks, universes form, but God saved his very breath for us and that we would dare to allow ourselves to be captured and captivated by the thought that God loves to breathe life into us, and uh, that we would find ourselves completely distracted by the face of God. That would be my one thing.
0: Well, that's a good one thing, I'd have to say. <laughs> so um, I just want to be able to give you a shout-out to you know let people know where your book is available if they want to purchase yeah. it. Um, so I'm assuming it's available on Amazon. And where else could they maybe get it at? Yeah, it's you know it's it's really available everywhere: Amazon, Walmart, Target, Barnes and Noble, Christianbook.com.
1: Every every place books are sold, um, it it should be available. Um, and for those who are listening, I know a lot of pastors actually are buying the book. It's a great resource for people who. Um, are struggling. Uh, for people who are new believers, at times we use trials as an excuse to develop a passive-aggressive attitude toward God. And there are a lot of small groups going on around the country, actually, that are using the book. So for somebody who's interested and may be discounted, uh, books at at a bulk. Um, the best deal I know of actually is a website called Direct Number Two Church dot com. Direct Two Church dot com, and that's the most significant discount you can get if you want to buy um, books at a, a small in a small qu- uh, quantity. Otherwise, yeah, go to Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, everywhere books are sold, and it's
0: available. Perfect. And I also uh, believe that we have got. Uh, bulk order of your books going to be made available at our leaders conference as well so oh, leaders great. be aware of that so i i think we will have access for people here in Iowa especially at a leadership event which will be great um and speaking of leadership uh i don't I hope you don't mind me switching gears here real quick oh it's okay uh, obviously you served in a national leadership role and served as a DYD here in Iowa for a time um so For our leadership podcast, I just want to ask you maybe one or two leadership questions. Okay. So the first question would be, how has your different roles in leadership helped shape your view of leadership? Oh, fantastic. You know, there are
1: um, about 9,000 different definitions and systems and philosophies related to leadership right now in the literature around the world. Um, there are a lot of different principles we can draw on from leadership and I'm thankful for leadership. I'm, I'm thankful for the content we have access to, uh, the different roles that I have been privileged to serve in. How has that shaped my leadership? I would say this, um, I've allowed my relationship with God to be my utmost priority when it comes to, um, how I lead and serve. Um, you know, if we're not careful on leadership, we can be successful at what, in the end, does not really matter in eternity. And sometimes being a good leader means that someone else receives the credit for what you work hard for. Sometimes being a good leader means that you do the honorable thing, even if people don't necessarily know that you are doing the honorable thing. Uh, sometimes being a good leader means that you put your family first, um, because of the season you're in. Sometimes being a good leader means that you say no to a really good opportunity that actually would become a distraction. Uh, so in the various roles I have had, I have really tried my best to make sure that my relationship with God, I know it sounds simple, but it's, it's not the complex things that destroy lives. It is ignoring the simple things. And so I've really tried to make sure my relationship with God is my priority. I spend time with God in prayer. I spend time with God in his word. I try to, my best to apply the principles from scripture and how I live and then how I lead and then how I serve. And so I really try to take my cues from the sovereign one and from the divine voice. And uh, then I can discern the time and the season I am in and therefore I know what to do, just like the sons of Issachar did. So to me, that, that would be my quick response, Jake.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really good because you touched on earlier, you know, there's nothing more dangerous than an insecure leader. But yeah. obviously, when, we, when we're spending time in the presence of God, we find that security in Him. And I think uh, the simpler we make it, going back to the basics of, you know, getting in our prayer closet and getting in that, uh, in that opportunity to really connect with the heart of God, that's what's ultimately going to shape if we're a good leader or not, you know, because we could have yeah. all the programs and everything else in place, but if our hearts aren't close to God, it, like you said, we're going to be building a kingdom that's going to fall when the waves start to crash. So. Yep. so also from your experience, how can we as leaders best serve and disciple our students? I know um, a lot of our leaders are looking for practical or maybe uh, purposeful ways of discipling students? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I will I'll just share maybe one thought and, and it would be this too, especially in youth ministry. Um, you know, I was, uh, I invested about a little over 20 years in youth ministry in a variety of different contexts. I still love students. I still actually, I just finished speaking yet again at another youth conference. Um, so I still speak quite a bit to students, maybe 35, 40 times a year. Um, and I would say one of the best things we could do when it comes to discipling students is to reintroduce our students to Scripture, um for a period of time in youth ministry, one of the trends was to just preach topical sermons, um, show videos for illustrations, and find a few principles from the Bible for students to grab a hold of. Unfortunately, this generation of students, many of them especially, uh, not just, um, uh, how, how do I say it, non-Christian students, but even those in our local churches, a lot of them are biblically illiterate. They simply don't know what Scripture says. Um, if we're going to create sustainable discipleship solutions, we've got to create space for students to interact with God through Scripture. And one of the best ways we can do that is to actually model that in our preaching and in our small groups and You know, when we go out for pizza with students, uh, you know, one of the best things we can do is model how to open up the Bible, uh, read through a passage, and ask questions, how to interact with the text. And so I, I keep track of the questions that students ask me after I speak, after I speak at maybe a conference, whether it's a university, a church, a youth convention, whatever it be both in the United States and overseas. I keep track of those questions. And the number one question I get is this, how can I learn more about the Bible? How do you know the things you shared in your sermon? Uh, There seems to be an insatiable desire for scripture. And so if I could give a gift to anybody who's discipling students, it would be this, let's make it um, cool again to preach Sure. Let's make it um, accessible again to study and know Scripture. Let's make it um, easy and applicable again to model how to discover yet again another piece of God's heart by opening up Scripture, and and not just reading it but studying it. Uh, to me, if you can, if you can uh, give a gift to a student of being hungry to encounter God through scripture. You have revolutionized their entire life as well as the family that they will raise in the future. Uh, We've got to get back to scripture. We've got to get back to biblical literacy. And so that would be just one thing I would share.
0: That's really good. All right. So I only have one more question for you. Um, And that is, what has been, and it's one of those ultimatum ones again, what has been the most impactful habit or discipline you have found in your walk with Christ?
1: Okay. Um, Oh boy. So you're asking for one, so I will give you one. You know, I would say I've really tried to, um, how do I say it? I've really tried to create space in my heart to where God can communicate to me throughout the day. I I believe it's possible to 24 hours a day um, communicate with God. I believe it's possible to go to work, to go home, wherever we are, go running, uh, read a book, and our our spirit is literally connected in and dialed into God. Um, I believe that's possible. Uh, I believe scripture teaches that. Um, And so for me, it would just be trying to be aware of the presence of God, um, trying to listen to the whisper of God trying to be aware of who God is, what what is saying, what God is revealing to me. Uh, Sometimes that comes through um, the lips of other people in community. Sometimes that comes through leadership and authority. Sometimes that just comes through circumstances, yes, but um, also God's Word and and praying and fasting. Um, I've just postured my heart toward God at the age of 17, Jake, when, when Jesus rescued me. And he is as more real now as he has ever been. And um, at the end of the day, um, the condition of our soul uh, will largely impact everything in this life. And so I try to, you know, to echo the psalmist that my soul would follow hard after God. Uh, ultimately, that's, that's what I try to do as a, as a son of God, as a servant, as a leader.
0: Well, Heath, I know speaking on behalf of all of us, we so appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, share with us a little bit about your book and your heart. Uh, so on behalf of Iowa, thank you for taking this time to speak with us.
1: Jake, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. I look forward to being back in Iowa.